we're going to deal with point session number two on uh, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many was not here last week? Raise your hand. Huh? How many was not here last week? Raise your hand. All right, so there's going to be a quick review. And um, so Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning with verse number 18. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18. Right. How many has it? Does everybody have it? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18. Alright. Do not get drunk with wine which leads to reckless behavior, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for the things to God, to the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, and submitting one another in the fear of God. Let's look at verse number 18 as we focus our attention on verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine which leads to reckless behavior, but be filled with the Spirit. Tonight is part two of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important that we really pay attention because this is what Wednesday nights is for is that we really pay attention because you could get lost as we dive into this. And uh, so it's important that we uh, pay attention. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to bless us. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this opportunity that we have. We thank you, God, that as we endeavor to look at your word tonight, that you would open up our ears, that you would open up our hearts, that we would receive the word of God and we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Dwight Moody was convinced, he was, Dwight Moody was a great um, 19th century evangelist. He's known as a revivalist, and he was convicted by this statement that he heard, and I'm going to, rec I'm going to say it to you. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. And so when I look at that statement, I'm convicted myself. What God could do through and with a man who is fully consecrated to God. It's not about us getting more of God. It's about how much of God do you have? How much or rather, should I say, how much does God have of you? How much does God have of you is really the question. You can have as much of God as you want, and you can have as much of the presence of God that you want, but it really boils down to the fact of how much of does God have of you? How consecrated and how dedicated are you? Now from last week, I just want to do a quick review, so it's important that you stay with me, a quick review. I want to look at four main points tonight of dealing with what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one, I want you to see, this is foundational. Number one, all believers have God's Spirit living within them and dwelling within them. So every believer has the Spirit of God inside of them. Every believer, whether you're Baptist or Methodist or whatever faith you may be, if you have been converted and repented of your sin, and you believe upon Jesus and repented of it, then the Scripture records that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Somebody say amen. The Bible says in John 14, verse 6, this is a quick review, that John 14, verse 6, indicates to us that we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. John 14 and verse number 6. John 14, verse number 6 uh, John 14, verse 6, I want to read it to you. The Scripture says, And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father unless the Spirit draws. Verse 16, not 6. Verse 16, John 14, verse 16, states it like this. Uh, and I will pray to the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. That He may abide with you 
forever. So the Spirit of God is with you. Somebody shout, the Spirit of God is with me. The Spirit of God is in me. Somebody say, the Spirit of God is in me. Now look at this Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 states it like this. In Him you've also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom also you believed and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. The moment you've confessed Christ, the moment you've repented of your sin, the Holy Spirit is in you, the Holy Spirit abides with you. He is the paraclete, and the Holy Spirit is the seal of promise. So the Holy Spirit is with you, and He's in you, and He is the guarantee of that purchased possession, which is heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30, and it says this, and I quote, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So you were sealed for the day of redemption, you have the Holy Spirit in you and you have the Holy Spirit flowing through you if you are a Christian. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 3, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So you cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit is in you. Somebody shout Amen. So is it true that every Christian has the Holy Spirit? I want you to shout it out to me. Is it true that every Christian has the Holy Spirit? If, you're, if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Number two, point number two. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? If every Christian has the Spirit, then what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Think about it. If every Christian is, has the Holy Spirit, as I have just stated and we have just read, then what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now the Bible says in Ephesians, the scripture that we're focusing on tonight, Ephesians 5 verse 18, look at it. And do not be drunk with, the, with wine, which leads to reckless behavior or debauchery depending on your translation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does this scripture mean? If every Christian has the Holy Spirit, then what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If every Christian has the Holy Spirit, as I have stated and read, then what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And the scripture here Paul is referring to, or Paul is writing, he is saying, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now let me tell you a few things about this particular Scripture. The Scripture here I just read to you, let me tell you a few things. Number one, this Scripture, the phrase is not commanding empty Christians to acquire something they don't already have. Because all of us have the Holy Spirit. We all possess the Holy Spirit. So the Scripture that says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This scripture is not commanding empty Christians to acquire something they don't have. Because we already have the Spirit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. I want to read it to you. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. It says this. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He is not of Him. So you have to have the Spirit of God inside of you. You have to have the Spirit or you're not a Christian. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit if the Spirit is already in you? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So this phrase is not commanding empty Christians to acquire something that they don't already have. You already have the Spirit. Somebody say amen. Number two, the Scripture I read to you in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, this Scripture isn't necessarily talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Although the baptism of the Holy Spirit is fundamental in being filled with the Spirit. 
Does that make sense? So it's not necessarily talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, although the baptism is very fundamental in you being filled. Number three. Number three, there is a difference. Now we're looking at the scripture. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Okay. I think there is a difference between the initial filling and a continually being filled. So what do you mean by that? The initial filling. The next thing I want you to see, Ephesians 5.18 speaks of a continual filling of the Spirit. It assumes you've already experienced the initial experience. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I already have the Spirit. What does this mean? This scripture is not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is saying to believers that you should always be filled. You should continually be filled. Ephesians 5.18 speaks of a continually filling of the Spirit. It assumes you have already experienced the initial experience, which is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the Scripture strongly suggests that after salvation, there is an initial experience of the Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the Scripture strongly suggests that after somebody is saved, after somebody is converted, after somebody is born again, there is another experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism actually to be correct, it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit, not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because you get baptized in. So after salvation, there is an experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Everybody say amen. That is what we call the initial experience, okay? So the scripture suggests that after salvation, there is another experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do I know? I'm going to quickly have the scriptures up here and I'm going to prove to you that there is another experience after salvation. Jesus says in Luke 3.16, Luke 3.16, John answered, saying to all of them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's speaking of, to the disciples. There is this another experience that you need to seek after. John 14, verse 16. John 14, verse 16. He's speaking to the disciples here. And he says this. And he said to them, uh, that doesn't look right. John 14, verse 16. John 14 and verse number 16. And I will pray to the Father, and He will give you another Comforter that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom you cannot receive because it neither sees me nor knows me, but you know Him, for He dwells in you and will be in you. Okay? So get this. Jesus is telling the disciples that you're going to have the Holy Spirit in you. Okay? He says it's going to be in you. He's telling his disciples this. You're going to have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And then in the same book, that's John 14. John 20, John 20 and verse 21. John 20, verse 21. And Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Verse 22. Jesus says, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now hold on. I thought Jesus already told them to have the Spirit. I thought Jesus already told the disciples the Spirit would be in you and dwell in you. And now, this second occasion, Jesus is breathing on them and telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. Because after salvation, there is another experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A distinct experience. Could you say amen to this? Bible says in Luke chapter 24, Luke 24, and the Bible says in verse number 49, Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He's telling these disciples, remember, he just told them 
to receive the Spirit. He's telling him to wait. There's another, this book, Luke. He's given this reference that you should wait for it because even though you are in covenant with God, there, you, there is something else you should experience. You should experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter number 8, verse number 5. Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 5. Listen to this story. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord gave heed to the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who was possessed. Those who were paralyzed, lame, they were healed, and great joy was in the city. Do you see that? So here Philip is preaching. They're having a wonderful revival. And then verse number 9, But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city. He was astonished at the people of Samaria, claiming that he was somebody great, to whom they gave great heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this is, this is the great power of God. And they heeded to him, because he was astonished with the sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed he was baptized, and they continued with Philip. They were amazed seeing the miracles and signs. Do you see that? Verse 14, now when the apostles heard at Jerusalem, at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as it had not been fallen upon none of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, they laid hands on them that they might receive the Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, he offered money. You see what happened? Philip went and preached. Miracles happened. Everybody got saved. And then the church, the headquarters in Jerusalem, heard about everybody getting saved, heard about everybody getting delivered. They said, we better send Peter and John down here so that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is a clear distinction between somebody getting saved and somebody being filled with the Holy Ghost. Can I hear an amen? Just because you are saved don't mean you got it all. Can I hear an amen? So they gave heed to the Word of God, miracles happened, and then the church in Jerusalem said, we better send Peter and John that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now you say, well, pastor, they never spoke in tongues. But the Bible says in verse 18, Acts 8, 18, and Simon saw, and Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. You can't see the Holy Spirit. He had to see a physical manifestation of the Spirit. And the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit is when somebody speaks with other languages. Somebody say amen. He saw something. So much that it convinced him. Acts chapter number... Uh, let's see, we've already looked at Acts chapter 9. Look at this. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 17. And Ananias... When his way entered the house, now this is the story of Saul. Remember, his name was Paul. Remember, Paul was a wretched man, killed a lot of people, and the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Is that correct, church? The Lord appeared to this man, and Paul, which was formerly Saul, he got saved. And the Bible says he's blinded, and he's, at a, he, he, he's fasting and praying and can't see. And the Bible says that Ananias, who is a servant of the Lord, verse 17, and Ananias went his way because the Lord told him to go, went into the house, laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a sign of salvation. Brother Saul. He saved. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Somebody say amen. And immediately... There fell from his eyes like scales, and he was baptized. What kind of baptism? He was water baptized. So he was saved, he got filled with the Holy Ghost, and he was water baptized. Somebody say amen. So how many would agree with Pastor Josh? There seems to be two distinct experiences in Scripture. Raise your hand. Two distinct. You're saved, you're born again, but there's this initial experience where you receive the Holy Ghost. You receive the baptism. You say, Brother Josh, I'm confused. You see, in the Old Testament, when they made bread, 
they put oil inside of the bread, the flour, and put it in the oven. And when the bread came out, they poured more oil on top of it. When you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. But there is another experience where the Holy Spirit is poured upon you. Can somebody say amen? There, it's the indwelling or the, the in, indwelling and the infilling. The Holy Spirit's in you at salvation, but at baptism he is poured upon you. Somebody say amen. So there's two distinct experiences. What about Acts chapter, what about Acts chapter number 10, verse 44? Acts chapter 10, verse 44. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, and many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God, and Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And they commanded that they should be baptized in the name of the Lord. What happened? They were saved because the Bible says they were of the circumcision. Number two, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, spoke with tongues, and they baptized them into water. Is baptism of water important? Certainly. So there are three baptisms. Baptism number one, you're brought into the family of God. Baptism number two, you are dunked in water. Baptism number three, you are dunked with fire. Somebody say amen. Can somebody say amen? So the first baptism, you're brought into the family of God. The second baptism, you are dunked in water. And the third baptism, you have fire. Now why? why? First baptism, baptism means to immerse. You are taken from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light. You are immersed into the family of God. As a result of you being saved, there has to be a physical evidence. And that is water baptism. You are dunked underwater, brought up as a sign that you are a part of this community. Water baptism is not a private event. Water baptism is a public event. Can somebody say amen? So you are publicly shown to the community that you belong to this family. And then number three, you got fire on top of you because you're supposed to go tell the message that just happened to you. Can I hear an amen? Can somebody just help the preacher preach a little bit here? You're not called to sit sour and soak. You're called to be baptized with fire to get up off of that seat and go tell somebody what happened to you. So the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not for you to jerk around speaking tongues all the time. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is for you to get off of the seat and go tell the world that Jesus is alive. Can I hear an amen? Can somebody just wave your hand a little bit and say, preach on preacher here. So you get saved and you get spirit-filled. And the Bible says in Acts 11, Acts 11 verse 16, Paul, Peter is recounting the story. Acts 11 verse 16, then Peter said, then I remember the word of the Lord. He said, John indeed baptized you with water. But Peter said, I remember. Jesus said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter is telling, Peter is telling the house of Cornelius. He said, oh, he... Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter is like, oh, I remember, I remember years ago that Jesus said we're baptized in John's baptism, but we forgot that Jesus was going to baptize us with another baptism, and it's called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Is there anybody in the building, you got the Holy Ghost tonight, you got the baptism of the Spirit. John indeed baptized you with water, but somebody is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now we live in a self-seeking humanistic age where people don't want the Holy Spirit anymore and they don't want the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit anymore and that's what's wrong with the church world is because we have, ex we have excommunicated the Holy Spirit. But here at Christ Point, we invite the Holy Spirit. We desire the moving of the Holy Spirit. We Come on, somebody. We need the Holy Spirit. So it's not about you just getting saved. It's about you getting filled with the Spirit. You know what I think what's wrong? We, we tell people to come to the altar, confess this sin, confess Jesus as your Savior, and that's good. But they need the Holy Ghost. They can't make it without the Holy Spirit. You've got to have it. Amen. 
And it gives you power. He said in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and, you and it will give you power to be witnesses unto me. Hallelujah. If you have sin problem tonight, get filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Can I hear an amen? So there's two different experiences here. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse number 1. Acts chapter 19 and and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions of Ephesus, finding some disciples. Look at this. Verse number two, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you? And they said, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Verse number three, and he said to them, into then what baptism was you baptized? He said in John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized you with baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is the Christ. And when they heard that, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. They were water baptized. After they were water baptized, Paul laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke and they prophesied. Come, somebody say amen. So they were saved. They were water baptized, and then they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, in Pentecostalism, we want to forget about the water baptism. You can't forget about the water baptism. You're saved, and you're water baptized, and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can receive it all in one day, but you have to have all three. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. I, I'm getting really excited up into this holiness church tonight, and I just feel like I need to shout a little bit. Is this all right? Because anytime you talk about the Holy Ghost, you get excited a little bit. And I know most of you are tired, and some of you are looking on your phone and looking up here, but I'm telling you, when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, it will shoot from the top of your head and shoot out the bottom of your feet. Can I hear an amen? Holy Spirit does something to you. Amen? Amen. It'll make your tired body perk up a little bit. It'll make you throw up your hands a little bit and say amen. Can I hear an amen? It makes you give you strength and power to go on with the journey. You see, there's two separate experiences. You are saved, and then you are filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, when I, I grew up in the old church, old church, I mean old church, you, and you all know that, you had to wear your sleeves down to here because you, you, if you showed your elbows, you were going to hell. Can I hear an amen? Old church. We wasn't allowed to wear shorts, and we didn't go to the movies. And we didn't cuss and drink and hang with those who do. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And you didn't even have a TV, but we bought a TV and put it in the back room, put it in the closet once in a while. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? You know, and then, and then you know, we, we, we brought out the TV and, you know, you know, they started using the Internet before they used that one-eyed devil. But you know what I'm talking about. And we got free from all that. And, and, and I remember some powerful services, and we used to equate the power of God. The reason the power of God is moving is because, bless God, we don't wear shorts and we don't have a TV. That is not why the power of God moved. The power of God moved because you were dedicated and seeking God, and you had time to seek Him because you didn't watch TV. Can I hear an amen? It wasn't because you didn't have a TV or not. You just had more time on your hands. Can I hear an Amen. And families were bigger because you didn't have nothing else to do, so you just populated the world. You didn't go to the movies, you didn't watch TV. I mean, it was back in the good old days. Can I hear an amen? So, but that's, that's, that's not the Holy... We, the Holy Spirit is, is not a, a dress code. The Holy Spirit... Now, can I hear an amen? The, 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 if you have the Holy Spirit, it'll tell you to, to straighten some things up and cover things up that's flopping out. Come on, somebody, and lengthen the little, come on, can I hear an amen? The Holy, the Holy Spirit, I don't need to tell you, you should have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's a teacher and a paraclete, you know? Amen. Now, I got off, but I'm, I'm, I'm coming back on here, alright? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, he says, Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. He says, I, I speak in tongues more than y'all. So, so, the scripture says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do we all have the Holy Spirit? Come on. Does every Christian have the Holy Spirit? Yes. But what does the scripture mean? Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. This scripture is speaking of a continual filling. You should already receive the initial experience, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you should, as a Christian, always be filled with the Holy Spirit. Always 
filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me just stop here and say this. You know, the Scriptures seem to suggest in the book of Acts that when the Spirit came, they spoke a language. They spoke in tongues. Now, one of the things that people have problems with in charismatic Pentecostal churches, and it's not as bad as it used to be, I mean, because Pentecostalism and charismatic Christians, apostolic Christians, we, we, there is like 587 million of us in the world. The world's largest church is a Pentecostal church. The Assemblies of God is one of the largest Protestant denominations in the world. So Pentecostalism is quite recognized now in the world, and it's not a backwoods religion, and it's not, you know, it, it's kind of prominent now to be a Pentecostal. But some people have uh, questions about the tongue issue. And listen, the reason they have questions is because they don't understand it. And just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's not real. Am I right? And that's what happens when we don't understand something. We want to say, oh, it must not be of God because I don't understand. Really? Are we that narrow-minded that we think because we don't understand it, it's not real? What's the purpose of speaking in tongues? Well, I'm glad you're here. Number one, the purpose of speaking in tongues is you speak mysteries to God. Number two, you magnify God. It helps with your weaknesses. You build yourself up and your spirit prays. These are the five main things that happens when you begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. You speak mysteries to God. You magnify God, the wonderful works of God. You, 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 you. It helps with the Adamic nature, the weaknesses of your flesh. It builds yourself up and your spirit is praying. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he is speaking what? But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to people. So if somebody stands up and says, for the Spirit of the Lord would say unto you, you bunch of nasty people, as God struck the Israelites with, you know, whatever, so God's going to strike, that, that's not prophecy. Prophecy is what? Exhortation, edification, and what? That is prophecy. Now verse number four, for he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies who? I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, for he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Let's stop here. He's talking about two things. First, he talks about devotional tongues, right? Verse number two, for he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to, but speaks to, okay, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to, but speaks to, so he's talking about devotional. You're praying, praying to God in tongues. Then he switches it and says, but in a church service in a worship service. If you speak with tongues, you should pray that there be an interpretation of it so that the church may be what? Did you all see that? Now, he switches. He starts to talk about the church. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Same chapter. Verse 12. Same chapter. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for edification of the church that you may seek to excel. And we see a lot of people zealous for spiritual gifts. He says, but if you're zealous for it, make sure it's for the edification of the church. Then he says, verse 3, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now hold on. Is he talking about his devotional life or is he talking about a church service? He's talking about a church service. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion of this? I will pray in, with the spirit. I will pray with my understanding. I will sing in the spirit. I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless, if you bless with the spirit, he who also occupies the place of the uninformed will say amen at the giving of your thanks since he does not understand what you say. 
For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak in tongues more than y'all. Yet in the church, I would rather you speak five words with understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. You see that. Verse number 26. Verse 26. How is it then, my brethren, whenever you come together, each of you have a psalm. Each of you have a teaching. Each of you have a tongue. Okay? Each of you have a revelation. You all have an interpretation. He says, but let him speak to himself and to God. He says, so when you come together in a church, everybody wants to testify. Everybody wants to say something. Everybody wants to speak in tongues. Everybody, he says, hold on. There has to be order in the church. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if any is revealed to another who sets by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that you all may learn and may be encouraged. For the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches of the saints. Let women keep silent in the church, for they're not permitted to speak. Now I'll explain that later. Okay, verse number 36, so don't get offended, women. Or did the word of God come to you originally to you, or was it only if, if it was reached? If, he, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or a spiritual, let him acknowledge the things which I wrote to you in the commandment of the Lord. Verse 38, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desires earnestly to prophesy, do not forbid to speak in tongues, let all things be done in decently in order. So what are you saying, pastor? I'm saying this. He first starts out the chapter by saying, you should pray in tongues. You're speaking to God. You should pray in tongues. And then he switches and talks about, well, all of you come to church and some of you have this gift. Some of you have a song. Some of you want to do this. Some of you have tongues, interpretations. He says, but if you do it, you need to make sure you have an interpretation of the tongue so that everybody is edified because if the uninformed comes to the church or the ignorant or the uninformed or the uncircumcised or those who are not familiar or those who are not saved and understand spiritual things, he says you're, they're going to be uninformed. They're not going to be edified. So what is the stance of speaking in tongues in a church service? I think it's very, very clear. There is a difference between devotional tongues and speaking in tongues in a church service. Not everybody's going to have the gift of tongues in a church service. Now, I, I think as I have grown in the Lord that I somewhat prophesy a lot. I may not, sometimes I'll speak in tongues and give the interpretation. Sometimes I'll just start to prophesy. So I feel like that, that is a gift that the Lord has given me. Some of you may feel like the Lord has given you a gift to speak publicly in tongues, and the gift may be to interpret the tongues. Not everybody will have that gift, but all of us is encouraged to pray devotionally in tongues. So the Apostle Paul is given church order here. Number one, he says it's in church, you've got to make sure that there is order, order. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. Now, we can take this to extreme and cut the Holy Spirit out. This is not what the Apostle Paul was saying. He said, don't forbid speaking in tongues. So don't go to the extreme with it. Number two, he says, everything you do has to edify the church. Number three, he says, there is, should be an interpretation required. Now, listen, church, it's an interpretation, not a translation. For instance, if Pastor Brandon speaks in tongues and Mandy gives the interpretation, so let's suppose Pastor Brandon speaks in tongues for five minutes. I mean, goes on and on and on and on. You're like, dude, you know. And Mandy speaks up and says, for the Lord would say he loves you. That's all she says. That almost sounds like, well, his 10 minutes of speaking in tongues does not correspond with the length of the interpretation because it is an interpretation, not a translation. Does that make sense? It's the interpretation of tongue. The scripture is clear. That there, should be, that, that there should be no more than two or three people in a church service given tongues and interpretation. If you give a tongue, the scripture states, that you should wait for the interpretation and remain silent and pray to God to yourself. If there is no interpretation, just remain silent. 
Some people are not exercising the gift. Some people are not comfortable, so let the church be silent. So what does it mean if I call you forward and I say to you, let's all of us speak in tongues? There is a grave difference between a church service where we have unbelievers present and a church service where we have believers present. Tonight, this church is small enough for me to know we're all believers. It would be appropriate if we all stood right now and spoke with tongues. You say, well, how's that? Acts chapter 10, he laid hands on them. They all spoke with tongues. The whole church spoke in tongues. If it's a believer's meeting and we're believers, we can all speak in tongues because there's nobody uninformed here. But if there are unbelievers here, should we speak with tongues? Yes. If you speak publicly, let there be an interpretation of it so that they may be edified. Would you agree with that? Now, can you speak in tongues in a church service privately? Of course. Pray in tongues. As we're worshiping, you can lift your hands and pray in tongues. But if you're going to be used in the gift and speak publicly, if there's unbelievers present, pray that there is an interpretation according to the Bible that they may be edified and that God may speak. Does that make sense? Somebody say amen. How many understands it better? Raise your hand. Amen. Do not forbid to speak in tongues. Should we speak in tongues? Yes. Should we pray in the Spirit? Yes. So in a church service, you can pray in tongues. But if somebody's going to be used in the gift of tongues publicly, they should pray for an interpretation. If there's no interpretation, we should wait for it. Amen. And that is why in a church service, I will say publicly, if somebody's speaking in tongues out loud and we give the interpretation, I will explain to the congregation what it means. If there is manifestations of the Spirit, sometimes I'll explain what it means. And I have, this church has gotten more compliments because we have explained that than us just going through a church service and not explaining it. And I hear an amen. So it's just helping people to understand. Amen? So this is a guideline for unbelievers. So you have devotional tongues which you should pray in every day. So number three, the book of Acts seems to suggest that once a person is filled with the Spirit, they will speak with tongues, which is the initial experience. But there are more feelings of the Holy Spirit. You should always continually be filled with the Spirit. And there are other characteristics of being filled. Now, last week, remember I said that the word, remember Ephesians 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, be filled, uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Remember the Greek word there, be filled, in Acts chapter 5, verse 18? The Greek word for be filled is P-L-E-R-O, and I'm not going to chop it up, but there's the Greek word. And I'm smart enough to know my level of intelligence. I don't like preachers getting up trying to pronounce Greek words, and you know they're just messing it up. Can I hear an amen? So I'm just going to understand my level of intelligence and know that I'm not Greek. Can I hear an amen? So that's the Greek word. Being kept filled, or it means go on being filled. Oh, somebody say Amen. So the scripture says, don't get drunk with wine, but go on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. How many likes to be filled with the Spirit on and on and on? And so, so what are you saying? It's not a one-time experience. It should be a continual experience in your life. You should always seek to be Spirit-filled. And sometimes... In churches, we think this is because we spoke in tongues, we have it all. You should always be seeking. You should always go on being filled. You should be kept filled with the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, hold on. Don't get drunk with wine. Why, why is he using the comparison between wine and Spirit? Because more wine you have, the more results you get. The more spirit you have, the more results you get. Hold on. What does wine do to you? Wine influences your behavior. Somebody knows what I'm doing. Can, is anybody with me? What does wine do? It influences your what? He says, don't get drunk with wine because it influences your behavior 
to be reckless. But in comparison, get filled and go on being filled with the Spirit because then it influences your behavior. You ever wonder what's wrong with people? Why, why they look like they just have the, you know, what's wrong? Some of them just need to get dunked in the Holy Ghost again. Go on being filled with the Spirit. Keep pursuing the Spirit because more wine equals more results. More control of the wine, you get more results. Why, you know, people who take drugs, why do they keep getting stronger and stronger drugs? Because you get more and more results. It's, let me shoot up another time to see if I can get a greater climax. When people open the door to sexuality, it leads to, well, not just sex with her, but sex with him, and sex with that, because they're trying to reach this epiphany. That's why people take drugs, trying to reach an epiphany, a climax. You take wine more and more because you like the feeling and it influences your behavior and you take it over and over because you feel the more I take, the more control it has of me. And Paul is saying that same idea you need to have of the Holy Spirit. The more Holy Spirit you have is the more control He has over you. You should always want the Holy... You should always be seeking the Holy Spirit so much, you're like, man, maybe this Sunday I'm going to have an epiphany. Maybe this Sunday I'm going to reach a climb. Come on, maybe this Sunday I'm going to experience something I've never experienced before in my life. Just like somebody taking drugs boy, i got to get my necks fixed because they know it's going to produce a feeling, a high. What would happen if believers had that same desire for being filled with the Holy Ghost? A desire to go after Him. A desire to be filled. More wine equals more results. More control equals more results. Being filled. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? That Greek word I gave you, remember the Greek word, that P word? It has it carries three ideas. So when somebody is filled with the Spirit, that Greek word has three other words with it. It means pressure. What, what do you mean pressure? Being filled with the Spirit means pressure, yes. Because Paul is simply using the word pressure to denote the idea that when you are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit thrusts you or puts pressure on you to go a certain direction. Just like a boat, the wind puts pressure on the sails. And when the wind puts pressure on the sails, it pushes the boat along the current. The same way Paul is saying here, that's what the Spirit of God does, it pushes you along the way. It thrusts you along life's journey. How many's ever felt the pressure of the Holy Spirit? How many's ever felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit? He also says permeation. Permeation. It's another Greek word, permeation, which means this. You, uh, I use the analogy of what? Alka-Seltzer? You put an Alka-Seltzer in the water, and what happens to it? It permeates throughout the water. Permeation. Not only pressure, not only does the Spirit push you along the way, but the Spirit should permeate your life. Just like the Alka-Seltzer permeates through the water, the Holy Spirit should permeate every aspect of your life. And number three, it's the Greek word for control, domination. Because the Holy Spirit should dominate your life. What's the opposite of that? Is demon possession. Just like demons possess somebody, you should be possessed of the Holy Spirit. You should be possessed and be controlled. So really, the issue, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means this. How much of control does he have of you? How much of control does the Holy Spirit have of you? Does he just have control over your social life? Does he have control over your money? Does he have control over your mouth? Does he have control over your thing? What Does the Holy Spirit have complete permeation, pressure, and domination in every part of your life? Just like wine influences all behavior, 
Does the Holy Spirit influence every aspect of your life? How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? You get filled with the Holy Spirit when you yield your life to the Holy Spirit. You give Him control. It's not you getting more of God. It's how much does God have of you? Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. In closing tonight, Ephesians 5.18 seems to suggest that there are other characteristics of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 seems to suggest that there are other characteristics of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do I know that? We talked about the initial evidence, but there are other things, other characteristics of someone being filled. There's other things. For instance, the Bible says in Acts 5, verse 18, look at it. I'm going to close with this. Acts chapter 5, verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless behavior, but be filled with the Spirit. Acts 5, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual psalms, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. So, hold on. This Scripture is connected to Someone being filled with the Holy Spirit. This scripture in verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual psalms, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, that scripture is connected to someone who is filled with the Spirit. So I am suggesting tonight that somebody who is filled with the Spirit is a singing person. I'm suggesting tonight that when you are filled with the Spirit, you sing to the Lord. Why do we take the first 45 minutes in a church service to sing? Because it's a characteristic of us being filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to say that again. Why do we sing? Because it's a characteristic of us being filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing is a very scriptural thing for us to do because it shows us being filled with the Spirit. Look at these scriptures. Genesis 4 verse 21. Genesis 4 verse 21 the very first time music was ever mentioned was in Genesis 4.21. His brother was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who played the harp and the flute. That's the very first reference of music in the Bible. He made a, a flute, he made a harp. Jubal. Music it starts at the very beginning of creation, very beginning. The Bible says in Exodus 15 verse 1, you remember Exodus 15, verse 1, And Moses and the children of Israel sung a song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has thrown in the sea. What happened? When God dried up the Red Sea, Miriam took a tambourine, started dancing across dry ground, and they began to sing to the Lord. Somebody say amen. Judges chapter 5, verse number 1 says that Barak and Deborah, the Bible says they begin to sing to the Lord. Verse number 2, the Bible says that Deborah and Barak begin to sing. They led the people of Israel. The people willingly offer themselves and they begin to bless the Lord. Verse number 3, the Bible says, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes ever. I sing to the Lord. I sing praises to the God of Israel. When Deborah won in the battle with Barak, they begin to sing to God. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 150 verse 1, Psalm 150, verse number 1. Psalm 150, verse 1. The Bible makes it very clear that you should sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty ferment. The Bible says in verse number 2. Verse number, praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him for the sound of the trumpet, the lute, and the harp. Praise Him with the tambourine, the dance. Praise Him with string instruments and flutes. He says, praise Him with loud symbols. Loud symbols. Let me just stop here a little bit. Loud symbols. Go ahead and get all the loud music out. Make noise to the Lord. I know I just made half of you mad. He said, go ahead and make a celebration. You know what he's saying here? And I say this sincerely and respectfully. I'm not jabbing anybody. I'm just saying, he's saying, make a celebration in the house of God. 
Go ahead and make some noise in the house of God. Go ahead and get all the instruments out, clap your hands, get the stringed instruments out, and make a party in the house of God. Somebody, I'm about to shout up in here, make a party for the house of God. Hallelujah. You say, well, pastor, I just don't like it. Well, guess what? And I say this respectfully. There is a Methodist church that like it. That's why we have a variety of churches. But in the Pentecostal church, we like to get it on, somebody. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. <laughs> we, we like to get happy once in a while. Amen. We, we like to raise our hands once in a while. Amen. Praise God. Praise Him. Now, please don't get mad at me. Come on, I'm saying this with a sincere heart. I'm reading the Scriptures, and I'm telling you, the Scripture is saying, make noise unto the Lord. That's what I'm saying. Make a celebration to God. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 26, the Bible says, Jesus and His disciples, they sung a hymn, went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus was a singing man. Proverbs 14.26, Proverbs 14.26, 14.26 states it like this very clearly. Mark 14.26, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. I don't know if that sounds right. Mark 14, verse 26. Amen. Does it say anything about singing? And they sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Acts 16, verse 25. Acts 16, verse 25. Acts 16, 25, listen to this. And we all know this. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In other words, if you're going to sing, raise your voice loud enough for people to hear you. So worship is not this. It amazes me people in worship. People in worship will do this. Get on the phone. People shouting, running, the glory of God, and I see people out there. I mean... Folks, if you're going to do it, at least be tactful about it. Am I right about it? I mean, people are watching you. Can, can I hear an amen? Some people don't even know how to sin secretly. Come on, somebody. If you're going to do it, at least put the phone under the blankets or something. I mean, don't do it out in the open where everybody... Come on, somebody. So when you come to the house of God, we come to sing to the Lord. That means you've got to put your mind into it and your heart into it. You've got to put your hands into it. You've got to engage the presence of the Lord. I don't feel like it. Well, guess what? It's your reasonable service to worship God. It's not about how we feel. It's about an act of worship. I think I should have preached this sermon on Sunday morning because y'all don't need it, do you? You guys are worshipers. Y'all don't need it, do you? Can I hear an Amen. It's the other crowd that needs it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What is a characteristic of being spirit-filled? Sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him go ahead and what? Sing the Psalms. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 8. The Bible is clear about this. Revelation 5, verse number 8. And when they've taken the scroll, the four living creatures, 24, fell down before the Lamb, each of them having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, the prayers of the saints. This is what's happening in heaven. They sung a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open the seals, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. They started to sing a new song to the Lord. Revelation 14 verse 3. Revelation 14 verse 3. It's very clear that the book of Revelation is a singing book. 
and they sung as it was a new song before the throne, before the living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000, those who had been redeemed. Revelation 15, verse 3. Revelation 15, verse 3. The book is filled with people singing. Revelation 15 and verse number 3. Then they sung the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Listen, if you don't like to sing, i got a question whether you've got the Spirit of God inside of you. How can we sit there in the seats with our arms folded and not open our mouth when the worship leader is leading us in praise and worship? It is our very reasonable service to get up off of that seat, lift our hands and lift our mouth and worship God because the Spirit of God impels you to do it. You should sing to the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 in closing I told you I'm closing. I'm on, I got six minutes here. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verse 21. It's very clear. They had consulted the people. This is Jehoshaphat. They were getting ready to go into battle. And what did he do? They, were, they, were, they didn't have enough weaponry. They didn't know what to do. And Jehoshaphat said, you know what? I'm going to appoint those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of His holiness. And as they went out before the army, they started saying, praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Verse number 22, and when they begin to sing and praise God, the Lord sent ambushes against the people of Ammon. Somebody say amen, because that's what the Lord will do. When you begin to praise God by faith, you don't have to fight your battle. God will fight your battle for you. Do you think, do you think by you sitting there not praising God that your battle is going to be won? You can sit there and figure it out and complain and grumble and figure it out and be on our phones. That ain't going to win the battle. It takes somebody that's filled with the Spirit of God that compels you to get up and worship God. We can say all we want. The music's loud. I don't like this. I don't like that. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Can you look beyond the, core, the words and have your heart connected to the presence of God? Anybody can get critical. Anybody can sit down and say, I'm not going to do it. Anybody can do that. Take somebody spirit-filled. Knows their responsibility is to worship God. I've been in lots of worship services I did not like, but I love Jesus Christ. And out of respect for the worship pastor and the leadership, I stood and sung anyway because I love the leadership and I respect them and because I respect them and I trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit on them and in them, I'm going to stand and I'm going to worship God. Because... When, let, let, me, let me just break it down. When worship becomes about you, please come and tell me and we'll start singing all the songs to you every Sunday morning. When you become so critical of the music and worship, because that's, that's, that's just like the devil. The devil was a worship leader and he knows how to divide a church to get in the worship department. Because he knows that people don't have a problem with the preacher. You just have a problem with all. I, I was raised with, uh, I, I like those old songs. Well, I like those old songs too. But let me tell you something. Those old songs are probably only 100 years old and Christianity has been around for 2,017 years. So when you get to heaven, they don't know nothing about Amazing Grace because Amazing Grace has only been around for 100 years. When you get to heaven, there's going to be all types of cultures, all different tribes and nations around the throne of God. That is why you've got to sing a new song because ain't nobody knew all this stuff. 500 years ago, you stood in church and sung the Gregorian chant. And I know y'all don't like that. But that's what there was. Study church history. Am I right about it, Kathy? They knew nothing about music. It was Gregorian chant. The singer would say something, the church would repeat it. That was their worship. And that went on for hundreds of years. If we're not careful, the devil will trick us into thinking that we are somehow, we're the expert on music, worship, 
The devil thought that and he fell real quick. As long as it glorifies Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, then let's sing it. Let's sing it. And I promise you some of those old songs we used to sing sounded like Michael Jackson had the beat to it. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we worship the beat instead of the music or the words. So in the early church, you know what they would do? We're going to demonstrate to you what they did. In the early church, you know all those things I just said to you, those scriptures, and they sung melody in their hearts and sung songs, psalms to the Lord? Somebody say psalms. Somebody say psalms. Now, don't lose me. In the early church, they did not have a hymn book. They had the book of psalms. The book of psalms was the hymn book of the early church. So when they came to church on Saturday and Sunday, they would sing the book of Psalms. That is why Paul said, when you come together, let's sing spiritual songs unto the Lord and hymns, hymns. What hymns? Not the red-back hymnal that you are familiar with. The hymns that he was referring to is the book of Psalms. So when they went to church, they sung out of the book of Psalms David wrote them, and that if you ever went to a monastery, that's their hymn book. They sing the book of Psalms all day. It's ancient Christianity singing the book of Psalms. 